This week on Underdogs, we try to find any underdogs worthy of making runs in the NFL playoffs. And then it's college basketball upset season already. Numbers one and two go down on the same night. We'll look for early giant killers to break brackets in March. The cry goes up both far and near for Underdog. Underdog. Countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Silk. Five seconds left in the game. You believe in George, the dream is alive. Underdog. And I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. It's the Underdogs back with you for another exciting week. I'm Jordan Brenner, joined as always by my fabulous co-host, Peter Keating. What's up, Peter? We're about to enter my favorite statistical time of the year, which is... uh, college basketball when there's enough data in the bank to actually study stuff and make some predictions so this is a this is a very exciting time of the year plus we got the football playoffs so it's like it's great well as you mentioned it is it is upset season we had the number one and number two teams in college basketball go down on monday night and we'll get to an early look at yes our favorite thing giant killers bracket breakers nobody's left undefeated anymore there's nobody left so if this is the time to look at who, who can continue toppling the Goliaths. The, the the topic that made us legends. We will turn to it for the first time this year. But in first. Our own, in our own minds, yes. It's Super Wild Card Weekend. And that means we got six games, six underdogs. And we also have to talk about underdogs' chances of going all the way and winning a Super Bowl. So, look, I know we've got a lot to say, so let's get right into it. We're going to go game by game. Little fun angles for you. Maybe a little betting advice. Maybe some futures. Let's hit it. Let's start it off. Saturday at 4.30 on NBC, you got the Texans, my underdog team from the spring, you may remember, hosting the Browns. The Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites, but I want to talk about this game in two ways from an underdog standpoint. The Texans' chances of winning as an underdog, but the Browns sort of being a trendy underdog pick that if someone's going to make a run outside of the top two seeds in the AFC— I think people think it's going to be them. So let's start with the game first. What do you what do you think of the Texans' chances of of winning at home against a a, a a Browns team that's actually favored? Well, they're home, and here's the thing about Cleveland: um, every team that advances in the playoffs, with very few exceptions, has something going for it offensively. Uh, you know, usually a top ten offense, and you can pick whatever metrics you want. Cleveland is by far the worst offense this season of any team in the playoffs, and I just. You know, as as great as their defense can be, um, I I think I think the impressiveness of some of their individual plays and some of their individual game performances has caused them to be somewhat overvalued. I think they probably are justly favored against Houston, but I cannot see this Cleveland team advancing beyond this round. Can yeah, you? but I just don't know. No, I disagree. I don't know. First of all, I don't know how you can sort of look at their offense on a whole when it has been a completely different group with Joe Flacco. They scored 31 points against the Jaguars, 20 against Chicago, 36 against Houston, 37 against the Jets. This is not the same team that had Dorian Thompson-Robinson and P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker. That right. was my favorite Browns game, now, yeah. am I fully buying into Joe Flacco? Have like, you? Have you? It sounds like, it sounds like no, you have. It but sounds he like gives you them... believe the small sample size of Joe Flacco will continue throughout... 
competition against elite opponents. Well, the Jets have a pretty damn good defense, and they let them. Oh, up Jordan, you know in that points. game, the Jets rolled over and died. I mean, that was that was the Jets' worst performance of the whole season. There was they played like a team without hope. If you want to go to individual games, that was a. I, I can't see. I mean, I did think the Jets were going to play better in that game. I think everyone did, but the fact that they didn't just—I mean, they—they they were just. So, so let me say this, and then we'll move on to the next game. You something we've studied a lot. Bringing it back to college basketball is volatility. Volatility tends to be a good uh, weapon for an underdog, right? Doesn't matter how low your floor is. If you lose, you're out. But if you've got a, a higher ceiling, you've got a chance to knock off a better team on a better day. Cleveland has a defense that can be elite. They've got a quarterback who's not afraid. He's made something like I was reading that he made like has made eight turnover worthy throws and eight like high level throws or something. He's he's clearly just letting it go. We we like that in an underdog, right? So and Cleveland's defense, as elite as it is, is much better at home than on the road, which is what gives Houston a fighting chance in this game. So are you at least buying Cleveland's volatility as something that could be a, a something that's a concern when if they play, say, the Ravens? I am, except that over the course of the season, if you look at scoring and points of points scored and points allowed, Houston has actually been a very volatile team. Houston's the team in this game where I think you'd say if they play at their best, they got a good shot because on their best day, they're really, really good. So I understand what you're saying about Flacco's volatility. I don't I just have a hard time buying that as that that this season, this season's playoffs can be a, a rerun of the 2012 Flacco, who was inconsistent but great in the playoffs. It's just like I, I don't mean to be unsentimental, but I mean, sooner or later, it, the, the level of competition and the quarterback we're talking about has to tell, I I think. But I could, you know, go. Well, I'd love, I'd love right, to, go, to out, go out and prove me wrong. Go ahead. Let's head to some of the other games. We'll get through them a little quicker. Dolphins, Chiefs. Let's talk about the weather, okay? Temperature's going to be about 9 degrees, okay? Miami is from South Florida. So you're probably thinking... Bet the under because it's cold and go against the Dolphins because they're not used to the cold. Uh, can I curse for a second? Can you That's curse? Bullshit. That's bullshit. Oh. <laughs> you can curse. It's bullshit. All okay. of it. All of it. All right. We studied this. Okay. First of all, warm weather and dome teams traveling to an environment where it's below 32 degrees in the playoffs. They're 11, 13, and 1 against the spread. They're basically 500. In other words, if you were betting against them reflexively, you wouldn't be making any kind of a profit. So that's an overblown storyline. Here's an even more interesting one, okay? Cold weather. Again, you think it probably tilts toward the under, right? Well, in a situation like in Kansas City, where the temperature is, again, going to be maybe like 9 degrees. Mm-hmm. Over the past two decades, if you had a game, a playoff game, with an over-under of 45 or fewer, and this one's at 44 and a half now, I believe, and the temperature below 25 degrees, the over is 14-4-1. and one. What 14, does that mean? 14-4-1 for the over. Wow. Yeah, it means that the temperature's already baked into the spread, into right. the over-under total. That's why it's low. So Now, Jordan, when you take the temperature down to 15 or below, they're 5-2. and two. Right. Bills put up 47 points against the Patriots two years ago in brutal conditions where everyone thought there'd be no points scored at all. Right. So all I'm saying is that on this and then is don't reflexively go with conventional wisdom here. Now, 
there are legitimate reasons to be concerned about the Dolphins. They're banged up. They've played terribly against good teams. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Chiefs haven't exactly been great either. I don't really look at either of these teams as one that's a Super Bowl contender. But, you know, I think there's some value here in the over. You talked about volatility. Miami is the team about whom I would like to say on their best day they could beat anybody because they've shown that this season. But not only are they racked by injuries, one in five against playoff teams, outscored 196 to 101. Uh, there are no bad teams in the playoffs, and Miami has played, has feasted on bad teams and, and been terrible against good opposition. That makes me very right. worried about them. Sunday slate. We got the Bills hosting the Steelers. They're favored by 10 points. The over-under is 36 and a half. Not much I want to say on, on the Steelers' chances. That, you agree with me that they, they, they're not getting past this round. They're no threat to be, make a Super Bowl run as an underdog. I completely agree. The over-under being this low makes it probably an even better bet to go over, right? I mean, people yeah. are really anticipating that this game will be everybody just freezing into right. not being able to move the ball. The wind is a concern, but again, I looked up the historical numbers, and even in windy games with a low total, the uh, over has done well. Uh, the biggest thing here, real quick, is this is a battle of luck. Yes. Um, the Steelers have been the luckiest team in the NFL in terms of Pythagorean projections. The Bills, one of the unluckiest teams. And when you find the playoffs, like last year when the Vikings played the Giants, when teams that were very lucky in the regular season get into the playoffs, it tends to end quickly. Uh Bet Labs, which we love at the Action Network, has something called Pythagorean plus minus. It measures a team's expected record against their actual record. When a team that has a Pythagorean plus minus 10% or more in, in the lucky range plays a playoff game and on the road, like, like Pittsburgh's doing, they've been 12 and 28 against the spread over the past two decades. The flip side is also true. Teams that were unlucky to the tune of 10% or more uh, and, and played a playoff game. 27, 16, and one against the spread in the playoffs. So it's probably worth a long, hard look at the Bills. Look, sometimes uh, when we go into Pythagorean expectations and expected wins, it kind of confuses people. Let me just say this Buffalo lost by six to the Jets on opening night, by five to Jacksonville, by four to the Patriots, by two to Denver. Conversely, Pittsburgh beat Cleveland by four, the Raiders by five, Tennessee by four, Green Bay by four. Pittsburgh has been very efficient or lucky in converting their points into wins. Buffalo is just the obvious, just the the opposite. Um, those things tend to come back home and play to their actual level as soon as you hit the playoffs. All right, next game on Sunday, 4.30 on Fox. The Packers travel to play the Cowboys. The Cowboys are seven and a half point favorites. There's a high total of 50 and a half Peter, are we buying the Packers' chances as underdogs in this game, and then if they get through this game to make a real run? Well, Jordan, you know, Green Bay is the only playoff team who beat another playoff team this entire season when they were underdogs by more than a touchdown. That was a Thanksgiving game against Detroit. Mm -hmm. But we just talked about luck and bad luck and good luck. I mean, Dallas can be very volatile on defense, and on their worst day, they can look awful against the run in particular. But... They've been pretty unlucky. There should there's expected the the gap in expected wins between Dallas and Philadelphia, who wound up with the same records, is like two and a half wins. Dallas is actually better than they've shown. So I I can't I can't uh, find it in me to, to 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 think Green Bay has much juice here. I'm with you. look if if Green Bay gets past Dallas, I think they're as much of a threat as anyone to you know I think the 49ers are just going to walk through the NFC, but the, the Packers at least have something going for them with Jordan Love, but 
got I, it hasn't been good to bet on the Cowboys recently, but I'm buying this team, especially at home. Um, I, so I just don't see much of the Packers here. All right, most interesting game of the weekend, I think, is the Sunday night game on NBC. The Lions against the Rams. Lions are favored by only three points at home. Um, the Rams are a real trendy underdog pick, both to win this game and maybe to make a deep run. Are you buying that? I'm buying the idea that they're a lot better in the last two-thirds of the season at a fundamentally, statistically significant, improved level of performance. So, sure. Um, but, I, you know, I mean, Detroit's at home and the three-point favorites. I, yeah, I mean, I think this this is not just the most interesting game. It's going to be the probably the close, the most evenly matched game of the weekend, right? It's, it's I, I'm so torn on this because I do like what the Rams have done as an underdog this year. They have exceeded my expectations that offense when everyone is healthy is clicking. But I think there's a certain level of disrespect that Detroit has been dealing with for all weeks. year. And it's because their defense is not good. Their secondary is really bad. You can throw the ball on them. But the thing is, I kept hearing about how that was going to manifest itself when they played Dallas a couple weeks ago. And for all intents and purposes, Detroit won that game. <laughs> yes. Right? Except for a miscommunication on a eligible receiver reporting, Detroit didn't get torched by an offense that has been explosive in the passing game. They held in there. I think the difference in this game and why I'm not ready to just go full-on Rams as an underdog is that Detroit has the league's best run defense, which I think will shut down some of what Kyron Williams does, which in turn shuts down some of the Rams' play-action game, whereas the Lions can run the ball on anyone. I do not believe in this Rams' defense. And I just feel like there's a certain level of disrespect. So maybe I'm being more contrarian and going the Lions here than I am in backing the underdog. I like your point about their excellent run defense going to put a dent in the Rams' play-action game. Rams are really good at that, but may not be able to pull off exactly what they want. This, this, this that is said, a, yeah. That said, if the Rams get by the Lions, they will go to San Francisco. Any chance that that's the start of a Super Bowl run for them? Well, I guess there's always a chance, but San Francisco is really the class of the field. I mean, you have to look you have to look hard to find anything that analytically would suggest a weakness in San Francisco big enough to lose a playoff game at home to LA. Last game of the weekend is the Monday night game. It's the least interesting in my mind. It's the struggling Eagles traveling to the lame Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Eagles are favored by three points. Uh this is not the least interesting game of the weekend. This is actually one of the most interesting because if we, if everything that we've done in our research means anything, this is the point where Philadelphia stops its slide and plays as the team they've been overall this season, which is not as great as last year, but which is nowhere near as bad as it's looked for the past few weeks, gets its act together. And look, we talk about luck and, and not having good luck or having good luck. Luck got Tampa Bay the division. Tampa Bay had 9.2 expected wins. New Orleans, 10.5. Tampa Bay is one of the luckiest teams uh, in the league. And Philadelphia will not be slowed by a lack of momentum because the momentum effect is not real. So, All right. We did look at that against the spread. And so, as we know, Philly's lost five of its last six games. I looked to see how many teams over their final five games had won one or zero games. And, right. and, and and how what they did in the playoffs. Now, very few of those teams even make the playoffs because you have to win a lot of games to make the playoffs. And if you lose right. four of your last five, you're in trouble. But five teams did that. And actually, of those five teams, they went three and two against the spread in their first playoff game. That includes last year's Dolphins, 
uh, who with the great Skylar Thompson at QB actually only lost 34, 31 to the bills covered the spread. Um, if you include teams that went two and three, two down and the three stretch, again, right. We're struggling. Um, those teams went 14, nine and one when they were underdogs. So that tells you that you shouldn't reflexively bet against the Eagles just because they've been struggling. However, Jordan counterintuitively though, it may be, you have to be a really good team to go one and four or zero and five down the stretch and still make the playoffs. I mean, it's a weird thing to say, but it's true. But that it's sort of like, okay, you're going to trust that or my lion eyes. Like I, I, we've watched the Eagles a lot lately. That is not the same team that they were earlier in the season. They can't look. They made Tyrod Taylor look like Dan Marino. They can't stop the pass at all. Their offense is really, really struggling. So. Look, the one thing I feel confident is whoever wins this game is going to be one and done. Well, right now is the time to stop Matt Patricia from dropping Hassan Reddick into pass coverage. If somebody wakes up and starts scheming like they were last year, they'll play a little bit more like they were last year is what I I would like to throw that log onto the fire as well. So big picture for Super Wild Card Weekend, I'm not seeing it as a great weekend for underdogs, and I'm not seeing this playoff as a great playoff for underdogs could be wrong but i really do if if there was ever a year where i felt like we were headed toward a one versus one super bowl much more than in recent years where i always had a team i really liked from even the four or five games yes this is it yeah. I, I really feel like we're headed toward a ravens 49ers rematch so i know we're the underdogs podcast but it's overdog time baby every now and then it's okay to celebrate greatness well so speaking of celebrating greatness it's time to talk college basketball right after this underdog underdog without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Underdog. Underdog. We are back, and we are excited because we want to help give you a first look at college basketball. I know a lot of you don't start watching until conference play begins. Some of you don't even start watching until March, but Peter and I, as the patron saints of giant killers and bracket breakers, we're always looking for early signs of teams that can pull off big upsets in March. And so we've been scouring the stats, we've been watching the games, and we've got a fun few teams that you should start following now so you can look like the smartest person in your bracket pool. So, Peter, who's caught your eye so far early this season? You know, Jordan, you have to start watching a little bit earlier if you're going to catch giant killers because by the time you get to conference play, what, are you going to watch Ohio Valley teams play each other? This is actually the time of year, right, where the small programs that could surprise you are actually getting on national TV every now and then and playing playing teams you've actually heard of as opposed to teams you never have. And... uh Shooting out of the Southland Conference, Jordan. Oh, yeah. From Lake Charles, Louisiana. I am loving the McNeese State Cowboys. Uh, this McNeese is McNeese State. Will- now, who is their most famous basketball alum? Can you name? Well, the most famous person associated with the program right now is Will Wade. This is where Will Wade resurfaced after. It's leaving. the home of Joe Dumars, baby. It is, Come of on. course, Joe Dumars. Yes. I'm, I just want to let you know that after Will Wade. Uh, 
how can we put this left VCU <laughs> uh, and LSU Don't and LSU. This is where he's popped up and he has started to instill the, uh, the characteristics of giant killing possession, hogging, forcing turnovers, especially through live ball turnovers, through pressing and generating steals. Um, and concentrating his talent on the court. This is a team that ranks eighth. I know this is a, this is a silly stat to, to focus everything on, but something caught my eye is they leave the, their best players in all the time, which is its own form of high-risk, high-reward play. Their two-foul participation rate is eighth in the country, something like 55%. They play at a really slow pace. They've already beaten VCU, Louisiana Tech, and Michigan. And um, they allow opponents to take a lot of three-point shots, but that's okay because the variability that we talk about up being so important, sometimes you have to catch a big team or a good team on a bad day. And if they're, you know, if you have a Goliath trying to take a lot of bombs on a day where they miss them, that's one way that you get upset. So Will Wade is putting it back together in this kind of rather obscure area of the country and and the NCAA. And um, they're 13 and two. Jordan, they're about 15 points stronger than any other team in that conference, which means we got to really hope that they don't get tripped up in their conference tournament because this is one of those teams that's just coming out unexpectedly but looking really strong from a from a really small conference. So my first team that I want to point out is the BYU Cougars. It's their mm -hmm. first year in the Big 12. So you wouldn't, oh, you wouldn't think Big 12 team, that's not a giant killer. Well, we have a category of killer that we like to call wounded assassins. They are teams that struggle through conference play, maybe get in, you know, as one of the final few at-large bids, end up with like a, you know, a 10 seed or something, and then they are dangerous. Think of some of those Syracuse teams that have made recent noise. Well, BYU for now is ranked, but they've lost two games in a row, and I think they're going to find the Big 12 a little bit difficult. But if you look at their statistical profile, it's everything we always talk about what giant killers need to do. They shoot a ton of threes. More than 50% of their shots are threes. That's third in the country. They dominate the boards at both ends. They only allow 20.5% of missed shots to be offensive rebounds. That's fourth in the country. While they grab 35.9% of their own missed shots, they don't turn the ball over. So they are a an efficiency dream when it comes to a giant killing statistical profile. So they've got five guys averaging in double figures led by Jackson Robinson. It, it's worth focusing on them. They're going to get battle-tested in conference play. They'll probably lose a bunch of more games, but just remember them if they're like a double-digit seed in your bracket and you don't think much of them, this team has the characteristics of teams that pull off upsets. Peter, who else should we watch? You know, you just mentioned our wounded assassin category. I have one in that category who I'm really interested in. That is Xavier. Xavier is 7-7, seven and seven, but they're a top 40 or 50 team in the country. Ken Palm ranks them 358th in the country in luck. This is a team that's lost by three to Washington, by two to Oakland, by six to Houston, best team in the country. By the way, speaking of coaches resurfacing, this is where Sean Miller and his sweaty shirt have resurfaced. Um, they have a huge split between their average possession length on offense and defense, which we found is an interesting key to giant killing. You make your opponents play slow while you play fast. They force a lot of steals, 10% of opponent possessions, but mostly... They're just a lot better than they look. And when they, yeah, when they Peter, they're it, a fascinating, fascinating test case, they're, especially if they play well in conference play, because you're being seven and seven, they may be on their way to playing themselves out of an at large unless they have a massively successful Big E season. But then you look at who they played. They played Purdue. They played right. Houston. 
right? Two two of the top three teams in the country. They're going to have a very strong out of conference resume. They're just missing that signature win. They may have overdone it on the non conference strength of schedule uh, attempt to bolster that, right? Um, well, they yeah, also it, lost to Oakland and Delaware. So I mean, not, if they go yeah. eighteen and fourteen or something, you know, they're not going to look impressive by their record, but they're going to look impressive by all their underlying metrics. Fair. So that's it. Look, that's that's exactly the kind of team you might you might have written off already. So keep an eye on them in Big East play. Um, I've got one more team for you. If do you like shooting, Peter? I love shooting, and I'd love well, to see who maybe the best shooting team in the well, country. Let's go. Is. If you're looking for shooting, let's go to the home of Larry Bird, baby. That's right. The Indiana State Sycamores. They are sicking it on teams from deep. They take. About 49% of their shots from three. That's seventh in the country. And they make 41% they of them. them. That's fourth. They hit, they hit them. them. They're, they're taking half they their the shots number, from three. That's why, right. they, that's why they have the number one effective field goal percentage in the country. Isaiah Swope is 46 of 105 in 13 games from deep. Ridiculous. They all can shoot them. They spread the floor. They knock them down. This team, Couple tough losses to big conference teams. They lost to Alabama. They lost to Michigan State. But they're already four and zero in Missouri Valley. Missouri play. Valley. It's about time we get some yeah. new blood in the Missouri Valley, right? Right. So watch them going forward. See if they can keep up this incredible shooting pace. They certainly have the right perspective when it comes again to the types of teams we like in March. When you take a lot of threes, it increases your variability, which increases your chances of beating a better team on a day when the shots are falling. It's giant killing 101, and it's why we are in love with the 13-2 and two Indiana State Sycamores. I'm, I'm, you know, already, I'm already nervous that a team like Indiana State's variability may trip it up in its own conference tournament. Now now I like them so much, I just want them to get into the, the NCAA tournament where they could do some damage. You know what else we're in love with, Peter? You, our listeners. So we want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts. Early potential sleepers in college basketball. We want to hear, do you disagree with us that this is not an underdog-laden NFL playoffs? So hit us up on Twitter at Peter Keating NJ at Jordan Brenner. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what you want to hear more of on the show. Let us know um, if you want Sarah to participate more with with, uh, Giants takes. Um, We're here for it all. And until then, we'll see you next week. The Underdogs Podcast is a production of Meadowlark Media and the DraftKings Network. Our show is produced by Sarah McCrory. Our executive producer is Neely Lohman. Follow us on Twitter at Peter Keating NJ and at Jordan Brenner. Tell a friend and subscribe to the Underdogs Podcast anywhere you like to listen, and be sure to tune in again next week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.